The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where it's a new era down at South Figueroa Street and Chick Hearn Court. Crypto.com Arena. Bitcoin? More like it's Litcoin. Oh, ayo. Or maybe we're all just speculating on unregulated hopes and dreams that don't actually exist. Womp, womp, womp. But hey! THT's back, Wayne Ellington shooting the lights out, Russell Westbrook's actually shooting well from three, no more DeAndre Jordan, AD at the five, and LeBron James is back soon, so purple and gold coin is trending upward. Even if the win-loss record may not necessarily reflect that, especially in the upcoming road trip. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, who's joining us today from the 110 freeway via a drive through Tommy, most important question for you right now. Have you invested in THT coin? I have. I'm a big time investor, early investor, early and often. Uh, and it's, you know, it's paying dividends, as they say. Indeed. Same can't be said for his hairline. But you know what? We have a what limited time. deal with that, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, George Jefferson, we're moving on up. And his hairline is literally moving on up. All right, so we have limited time today, so we won't be talking about the new arena naming change down at Staples or former Staples. Though we would like to remind you that this podcast episode is sponsored by Crypto.com. So let's get started. Um, at the time of this recording, the Bucks game is going on right now. We've, we're, we have a DVR. We'll watch it in a second. But the Lakers are 8-7. and seven. 
They just Yeesh. finished their super easy soft schedule, Tommy. This is the, the easiest <laughs> schedule you're going to get. So let me kind of just, well, one, before I elaborate on our current situation, give me one word to describe how you're feeling as a Lakers fan. Um, Disappointed. Great word. So let me tell you why you're probably disappointed. <laughs> okay. <Me too. laughs> so the Lakers are eight and seven. In those 15 games, I don't think they've had a true blowout, a true wire-to-wire win, and that includes the six games LeBron played. The closest may be one of those Houston Rockets games, but guess what? We let the foot off the gas pedal in both of them, and they ended up not being true blowout wins, to the point where you can just rest the guys, right? I think in each one of our games, the starters had to come in in the fourth quarter. Yep. Without LeBron James, the Lakers are 4-5. and five. And that is with both Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis healthy, save for that one Portland game where Anthony Davis had to throw up. And let me add, Tommy, this is with Carmelo Anthony popping off, shooting like 52%. Like the best start of his career, yeah. Like Melo was sort of a pseudo big three, and we still went four of five, even while having two of our big three present during the easiest stretch of our schedule. Let me dig in further. Prior to the Lakers' win versus San Antonio, the Lakers' three other wins, only three other wins without LeBron, were all overtime games. Against San Antonio, against Charlotte, against the Heat. Even the Heat game, which was arguably the most impressive, Jimmy Butler only played seven minutes. Now, counterpoint, did they have two games versus the Oklahoma City Thunder where they had commanding leans and and probably should have won? Yes, they did. But guess what, Tommy? This team, the identity and DNA of this team is that of a team that just can't hold on to leads and sustain their effort throughout a 48-minute game. So it's part of their DNA. So I don't think there's anything outlierry about those two losses to Oklahoma City Thunder, unfortunately. And let's say we give them those two wins. Let's say they pulled it out. A couple things changed, and the Lakers won those two Oklahoma City Thunder games. They could have easily also just lost any of the three other overtime games that they won, right? Um, Because, again, they simply can't sustain a 48-minute effort on both ends. So my conclusion right now of how, you know, what's going on in Lakers land is that we're just a bad team. We are a team that has no idea what it wants to be. We bad. (laughs) We bad, exactly. To say we don't have an identity is almost an understatement because it feels like on most nights... And then Vogel's starting to change that. But up until this point, it felt like on most nights, we were purposely trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. So not only did we not have an identity, we were going for the wrong identity based off of the roster that we had. And we fiddled around uselessly with this DeAndre Jordan thing for, I feel like, far too long, even though you can probably say it's only been 10 games or whatever. Still far too long. We fiddled around with letting Westbrook soak up possessions and usage for far too long. We fiddled around with trying too hard to force this team into being the KCP Charisma charisma kcp caruso and kuzma lakers in lieu of playing to its strengths and then i think recently what we're seeing from vogel is okay he's starting to lean into the offense play lineups that on paper make sense that play to the team's offensive strengths but in spite of that we are slowly not slowly we're being very blatantly reminded of frank vogel's deficiencies as a coach specifically an offensive coach who has no offensive sophistication to his scheme outside of here are a slew of primary ball handlers and shooters go do something you guys figure it out 
So we are, from top to bottom, a bad team. It doesn't matter who you want to blame at this point. We can blame the front office. We can blame LeBron James for and Anthony Davis for picking Russell Westbrook. We can blame Russell Westbrook himself. We can also obviously blame Frank Vogel. And the whole Lakers situation is kind of reminiscent to me of that scene in Anchorman where all of the different news teams come together and face off against each other. Right now, all of Lakers nation is divided because they have staked their claim to who they want to blame the most, whether it's the front office for the poor roster construction and disconnect between who their coach is and the type of roster they wanted to put together. We have LeBron James and Anthony Davis for even having Russell Westbrook on their list as a quote-unquote third star who can't get it done even with Anthony Davis healthy. And then, of course, we have Frank Vogel who just over even after three years just has not developed any sort of offensive nuance even while knowing ahead of time that this is the roster that he was going to be gifted and then on top of it again I will keep going back to this injury is notwithstanding because I know Frank Vogel has been dealt a bad hand everybody's been dealt a bad hand I empathize with all of that the fact that we started the preseason off the way that we did and didn't play Russell Westbrook till game three even though he was 100% healthy and the big three only got I think two or three games where they played with each other in that six game preseason span that only continues to look worse and worse. So we can blame everybody. It doesn't matter to what degree we blame them, who is more to blame, whatever. At the end of the day, from top to bottom, we are a bad team. We are a bad organization. Things are starting to look up, especially with LeBron James coming back. But, you know, newsflash, LeBron James hasn't been healthy for much of his Lakers tenure. And during the championship season where he was, he had like a four-month break due to the pandemic. So to count on LeBron James is going to be back, everything's going to be fixed, to me, is folly. So, Tommy, give me your thoughts on where the team stands right now. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think you summarized it pretty well. It's been frustrating to watch, and, you know, I said disappointed as as my word to describe them, and and disappointed not just in the results, but in the effort and the – the effort and I guess the execution and not just like, you know, execution of like executing the plays, but like how everything has been executed, like the decision making and planning and, and everything of how the season has gone. Right. Like it, we said this before the championship year, we've heard all this same stuff. It's the same rhetoric every year. I mean, frankly, every team hears it. Right. Unless you're like a tanking team where it's like the rhetoric is we just want to you know, continue to develop and grow. Um, it, every team has that's remotely competitive has playoff and further aspirations. Half the league has championship aspirations, you know, like so it, when, when the season starts. So it's one thing to talk about it and another thing to sort of, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And, and it's like from a lot of areas we've seen sort of failures, right? Like I'm not, you, you talked about all the people who were being blamed here. One person passed over is maybe Jeannie Buss even for like, you know, the, you could say a lot of people are blaming, blaming the uh, owners for the refusal to pay luxury tax needed to retain like, you know, potentially key talent. Right. And then, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, starting from that level, you saw some blemishes starting from, you know, preseason where we were complaining, like, wait a minute, we have, this is not like a team that was in the finals last year. And by the way, a team that was in the finals last year, the Phoenix suns, like they were playing their main guy, like besides Devin Booker, they were playing most of their guys like every night. Right. I think Chris Paul sat out two games he would, they were playing heavy minutes. Um, 
the Warriors were playing Steph and Draymond big minutes in the preseason. And they were trying to set a tone and get everybody used to each other. We put together like one of the most polarizing set, like trio of superstars ever assembled, like especially in the sense of like one guy. When I say polarizing, I mean like one guy who among the superstar ranks has always been viewed as like the hardest superstar to integrate. Like he is not a guy that you can just plug and play on any team like mm-hmm. most superstars right like you kind of have to have you figure it out how it's going to work and everybody knew this from the moment the trade was executed which was like in july we were like could this work i don't know because like i've said many times and we'll continue to say through the season the russell westbrook experiment is not can he be the number one or number two option like we have 13 years of evidence conclusively proving that that is not going to win you a championship the quite the experiment was can he be the number three option on a team with lebron james and anthony davis Yes, LeBron has missed more than half our games so far, so maybe we haven't really had the opportunity to see it. But it sort of goes beyond that. Like, you know, so preseason, the coaching staff, you know, like Russell Westbrook was on a team in Houston coached by Mike D'Antoni that was like on paper the worst possible fit you could think of for a guy like that. He doesn't want to shoot threes. He's horrific in efficiency from three, not just efficiency from three, but frankly, all over the court uh, outside of like the paint and, and uh, where he's like elite. Right. So, but like mid range three point, you don't want this guy taking those kinds of shots. And Mike D'Antoni's system certainly at that time was everyone's taking threes. Okay. Russell Westbrook averaged like 28 points a game and shot 48% from the field that year. So they figured out a way to like make him work. So, you know, I, I, it's one thing to think about like, okay, well, we haven't seen the Russell Westbrook experiment in the way we were expecting, but Russell Westbrook is playing worse than he has played in like any of his, you know, recent stops. It's not, you know, it, it it's like, he is a flawed player, but he is playing worse than even he should be playing. Right. So it's like, yeah. There's so many people you could sort of point the finger at, but it really, to me, just all comes down to this like disappointment. Like it, it doesn't feel like there's a cohesive voice and a cohesive organizational thrust in the same direction. Right. And, and yeah. that's what sort of becomes disheartening to see as, as a fan, yeah. because it's just a lot, a lot of talking and talking and talking. And then it comes time to the games and they get blown out and it's like, well, everybody knows we weren't really trying when we, when we <laughs> lost to Portland, you know what I mean? That's not the kind of thing that a championship team says. Thank God that didn't get like more play in the media. It was like a throwaway yeah. comment after we won the Hornets game, I think was the next game after uh, Portland that uh, you and I went to. And, and somebody said it, it might've been Russ even, and like a throw, like a throwaway comment in the, in the press conference or maybe the game after he said like, yeah, we're, we're getting on the right track now. Like everybody knows, you know, we were really trying that, that hard in Portland. That's why we lost. It's like, no dude, you guys are getting waxed constantly by like these like 21 year old unproven rosters. I mean, Minnesota is going to be bottom of the league. They have, does that mean they have talent? No. I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean they don't have talent. Of course they still have NBA level talent. Right. And they have two all stars on that team. So um, and Anthony Edwards. So but they're still going to be bottom of the league and they wax you guys like like OKC. Same thing. They have a few NBA players. Everybody like all of a sudden you have DeAndre Jordan after the game. Shea Gilgis Alexander is really good. It's like, yeah, did you know that? Because <laughs> you guys didn't like approach the, uh, the game like that. So it, it's just it's a lot of like, well, guys are heard like we'll figure it out. We just got to figure it out. We just got to figure it out. But 
it's mind blowing in the sense of like nothing has really changed from the preseason from the first game against Golden State, you know, mm-hmm. second game against Phoenix. It does not feel like anything has changed other than okay, some guys figured out what we want to do defensively. So we're not the worst defensive team in the NBA. We're like middle of the pack now. So, you know, maybe that was always going to positively regress in that sense. Like maybe that was going to happen anyway. But like what we're doing offensively, it feels like so brutal to watch and nothing has changed. It's not like, oh, well, this was the clear problem in the last game. Let's see how they adjust. Part of the thing about being a fan, this is the last thing I sort of got I'm going to say. You got me very heated <laughs> on this topic. The part of the thing about being a serious fan, right, and, and like watching all 82 games, that's a long season, right? It, like, but part of the enjoyment of that, for me anyway, and I think for most fans who watch most of the games, is that over the course of an 82-game season, you see the development and you see things like little minor things that if you're just watching the games that are on TNT, you might not pick up. It's like, okay, they played well and they won or they played poorly and they lost. But when you see the little things slowly get better over the course of an 82 Mm -hmm. game season as a team at the team level, at the player level, that's what makes it fun for me. Yeah. This team has none of that. Like nobody is like, like it's just a bunch of guys who are going out there like, well, we're talented, so we should win. We should have won, like, for our how light our schedule was for the first 15 games. Just on talent alone with no coach, you almost think that, like, we should have probably won, like, 10 games, right? So yeah. even with the LeBron injury and all the and some of the other injuries we had, we had the talent. We had Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and Carmelo Anthony, like you mentioned, popping off. And, like, we had some other guys who were playing decent, Malik Monk. Like, we have other NBA-caliber players, Okay, and to say that we're losing because we have these guys injured, what OKC had Shea Gilgis Alexander? Can you name another player on that team besides Lou Dort? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's like they have like five wins. So I mean, yeah, yeah, and, and they have five wins, and they're like almost as good as we are. You know, so it's like <laughs> it's just like you're not seeing anything changing from day to day. It just feels like the same thing over and over. It feels like it's so stale and like so much like. It's like delayed decision-making, weird decision-making, like the Seku thing, waving him and shine, signing uh, Shondi because Seku's injured and we need guys who could play. But like, you don't bring Shondi on the trip, <laughs> you know, the five-game road <laughs> trip. And you go, oh, well, he, certainly he'd have to practice before he played. What are you doing? Like, what is, what is the plan that this team has to like win a game? It's not being executed, at, at whatever it is. And... It's just become embarrassing to watch, frankly, as a fan. And I think it's safe to say that on all parties involved, nobody is holding up their end of the bargain. Yeah, right? nobody. I think that's fair to say. Nobody. Literally nobody. And and I think also that includes us as the fans, Tommy, because I think we need to rejigger our expectations. We were wrong. <laughs> I mean, look. All the caveats, let's put them all in here. It's only 15, 16 games. Half the roster has been injured, etc. But even the most, you know, skeptical of fans would have said, if you have Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, and if I had told you, also, Carmelo Anthony is going to be shooting 52% from three and averaging 3.5 makes a game, what do you think our record would be, even without LeBron James, given the easy schedule? Even the most skeptical of fans would have been like, yeah, you would have won at least 10 games, and some of those very convincingly. We have not won any game convincingly. In fact, 
90% of our games could have gone either, either way. So really, we could technically be like, what, 2 and 13? <laughs> like, depending yes. on how we're going on any given night, you know? And so... I swear this is going to turn around to the positive. We don't want to send people off to Thanksgiving like with such bad vibes. Um, but before we take it to break, I do want to point out some devil's advocate points. And then I'm going to slash all of them down, <laughs> which maybe it's not so devil's advocate-y. First, before I get to that, I, I, I know people have wanted to talk about the health and guys not having legs and you know, having a, a, an old roster, et cetera, et cetera. But if we continue to frame this season on LeBron James and the health, I feel like we're going to miss a lot of things in the present with regards to very clear problems that we have on every level. And if we don't start addressing them and if we don't start pivoting the right way, this is going to come back to bite us, you know, yeah. especially because... Nothing is assured with regards to LeBron's sustained health, even when he does return. Um, right. And when LeBron returns, who knows? Maybe AD goes down. So there's never going to be a perfect situation. So we have to deal with what we have right now. And so far, LeBron's injury has exposed a lot of issues that this team has on a lot of different levels. So let's talk about if I was playing devil's advocate, Tommy, I'd say outside of the championship season, this is par for the course with any new LeBron big three team trying to get adjusted and figure itself out. Right. His first season in Miami, the big three, they started out nine and eight. And they had their whole big three healthy, Tommy. We've only had a big yeah. two plus Carmelo Anthony. And for the majority of our run, we're eight and seven. So right on par. And LeBron James is coming back. Let's take it back to when LeBron James went back to Cleveland and he formed the big three with Kyrie and Kevin Love. That team started out 7-7, seven and seven, and they had their whole big three healthy. LeBron's only played six games, and we're still 8-7, and seven, right on par. Okay, now here's where I say none of that matters. You ready? Yeah. Okay, yes, all of that is comparable. That is par for the course for LeBron James. Guess what? LeBron James was 30 years old in that last stint with Cleveland, and he was what? Uh, yes. Like 27, 26 with the big three in Miami? So yep. maybe you cut this current group a little more slack because LeBron James has been out for nine of the 15 games or so. But LeBron James, not only was LeBron James young back then, all of his teammates were also much younger than the big three we have right now. Russell Westbrook is 33 and isn't a spring chicken. Anthony Davis, while he's young, also is known for being Anthony Day-to-Day -day Davis and being fragile. And not only is Westbrook not as young as any of those, if we, if we equate Russell Westbrook to the third guy, and let's equate him to maybe Bosch slash Wade or even Kevin Love. Not only is he, is he not younger than how old those guys were back then, he's also just the worst third fit out of any of those guys, right? Right. So, yes, is 8-7 and seven par for the course for any LeBron James team in history experiencing a crazy big three super team shift where they're trying to work things out? Yes. But his age and the surrounding age of his current big three is what changes everything, in my opinion. And the fact that we were gifted the easiest schedule in the league and bungled it, and it's only going to get harder from here on out, is what makes me change my tune to anybody saying, keep perspective, this is what usually happens with LeBron James teams. So quickly, give me your two-minute response to that, and we'll take it to break. Yeah, I mean, big factor is in those cases, it was also like LeBron's first time on all those teams. I mean, I know Cleveland, it was his second stint, but like it was a completely different organization. I mean, like different coaching and everything at that this his second time around, right? So this is, and yeah, to your point, LeBron hasn't played, but 
we've had the same coach and quote unquote system, whatever that is for like three years. I know we have a lot of the same players, but these guys were getting together in the off season. They were, you know, we had the whole training camp this year. We had the whole preseason this year. There's been time to integrate a little bit faster. And five guys on this team have played in Frank Vogel's system before. I know we only returned three from last year, but Dwight and Rondo are also back from two years ago, right? So five guys were on the team that won the championship two years ago. They have plenty of experience playing in this system, but we it just doesn't feel like we have a system right now. You know what I mean? It, it's The upside feels like so minimal compared to a lot of those other LeBron James teams where it was like, you know, they're, they really are trying to figure it out and put guys together. The Miami Heat big three, when they formed, had to decimate the roster so bad. You know, the cap rules and all that, like creativity, like kind of stuff that you can sort of figure out now wasn't as possible back then. My uh, LeBron and his guys were in their mid-20s and we, it, it does not feel like we have a lot of upside in the sense that, like you said, when LeBron comes back, he is not the same guy who can be the equivalent of three guys on the floor for you at once, which is what he was for so many years with Miami and even in his second run with Cleveland. He is still one of the best players in the NBA, still probably top five, frankly, when he's healthy. But it's just not going to be the same and there are a lot of issues that he himself is not going to be able to solve and it's like well yep. wait for THT THT is back and like nothing really has changed well let's wait for Ariza and Kendrick Nunn Ariza is 37 years old okay we're banking on Trevor Ariza as like the thing that's going to completely revamp what we're trying to do on both ends I don't know what to say you know and yeah. frankly same thing with Kendrick Nunn it's like if, if we're thinking that Kendrick Nunn is going to be the guy who's going to come in and turn around what we're doing, make our offense suddenly not look as horrific as it has looked. I don't know. Like, what do you, what, you know, it's just like there, there's no plan. Like with the Warriors, even when they were bad in the last couple of years uh, with injuries and, it, you know, last year, uh, even when they weren't as bad, but weren't like, you know, really in title contention, they were running the system. They just didn't have the talent necessarily to execute it. And they that team sort of feels to me like that Laker team from 2008, 2009, where, you know, they still had a they still they had a superstar. Uh, you know, we have Kobe, they have Seth Curry and and they have a bunch of guys who have just sort of been around in the system and have been slowly developing and have just now it always all clicked at the same time. Plus, they added some vets. Plus, they got some guys healthy. It really reminds me of that that team, that Lakers team, and how everything's clicking. But it all is it comes down to there's a plan of what they're trying to do that, you know, clearly they're all on the same page and they've been on the same page throughout training camp, throughout preseason. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, pushing in the same direction. And it doesn't feel like we're doing that. Everybody's pushing in yeah. a different direction. Well, and to your point right there, I think from the beginning – and I hate to always bring this back to the Marcus Gasol thing and seeing the splintering of stuff, but I think really you see there's a disconnect. And sorry if my, you hear my dog barking in the background. She is also very pissed about the way things are going in Lakers Nation. Um, but I think I realize now that we, we should stop assuming that the front office and Frank Vogel talked about things because it seems like there's a huge disconnect in people's expectations, right? Um, because 
Back then, we thought, oh, for sure, the way that they're treating Marc Gasol, Frank Vogel's communicated things clearly to him about what his role is. The front office has communicated with Marc Gasol. Not the case, or at least it didn't seem that way, how things ended. And then this time around, it's like, you would assume that the front office talked to Frank Vogel about the guys that they're bringing in this year to say, this is the approach we want to go because it's more offensively skewed, so you're going to have to adapt from the beginning, right? We know you're a defensive-minded coach, but you're going to have to adapt because this is the roster we're giving you. So far, it doesn't. It seems like Frank is only figuring it out now. Like, I need to lean into the offense. And then yeah. the worst part about that, Tommy, is because he's never had an offensive system, at least not a complex one, Right now, his him leaning into the offense is just say is just giving the ball up to somebody and saying, you know, we're playing hot potato. Whoever has the ball, you create something on your own. It's very Byron Scott deja vu esque. Maybe not to that extent. Yeah. Kind of, but kind of similar. And the guys out there don't have any help. The coach is supposed to help the guys out there. It doesn't matter how talented a team you have. Those guys are are probably thinking, am I doing the right thing out here? And and, and Vogel's just like. Give AD the ball because he can post up. You know, give Russell Westbrook the ball because he's the point guard and he's going to make things happen. But nobody's moving off ball. How many times do you have to hear Stu Lance say, nobody's moving? Yeah. All right, let, I swear this is going to get better. <laughs> or maybe it's good for people who just want to cathartically vent. But we'll take it to break. And when we return, we will talk about uh, THT and the positives that we've seen from there. And at least to Vogel's credit, he's playing 80 at the five and we have offensively competent guys. Uh, it's just all about, I think it's all about how everybody pivots from this point forward, uh, how the front office pivots, what they do with the roster, um, how LeBron James comes back and how he's, he's had a good sample size of how he's seen this team operate. How does he adjust? How does Westbrook adjust? And then lastly, how does Frank Vogel adjust now? Because it can't just be about putting out all these shooters and putting out as many primary ball handlers as you want. I can envision a, a, a point in the future where Frank Vogel just has like Kendrick Nunn, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and THT and AD out there. And he's like, everybody can dribble the ball, so we're good to go. You know, it's, it's about how everybody pivots from this point forward, understands that, yes, we've been hampered. Yes, there have been injuries. Yes, there have been extenuating circumstances that have made life hard on everybody. But at this point forward, how are we each individually going to better ourselves? It doesn't matter if you think Frank Vogel should be blamed the most or if you think the front office should be blamed the most. Everybody needs to take accountability for how crappy they've been. So where do we go from here? Uh, with that said, we'll take it to break. That's where we're going. And when we return, we'll talk about THT and how good he's looked. All right, so we're back, Tommy. Let's close this episode out positively because Thanksgiving is coming up. Uh, one positive is, outside of the slew of things I mentioned at the start with, you know, AD still looking like a beast, <laughs> I hate to bring it back to a negative, but I mentioned how AD and Westbrook have been healthy and, you know, Carmelo has been shooting the lights out and we're still eight and seven. The other thing I want to add to that is AD has looked like a beast throughout this entire time, right? And we still yeah. could only get to eight and seven. Like, come on, yeah. dude. Like, AD is actually playing, like, both ends so well. He's, like, he, is. he do but we don't have the record to back him up for his defensive player of the year candidacy. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I think, the most disappointing part. Like, how many paint points does he have this year? He's doing everything we're asking of him. He's but dominating. It's just, there's no support there. Uh, so it, it's it's no wonder why on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, you're trying to post him up like kind of idiotically against a team that's like triple teaming you with small dudes. Regardless of that, there's no wonder that AD would have would be gassed that second night of the back-to-back -back when he's carrying so much of the load, you know? 
Okay, positive time though. Uh, Wayne Ellington has looked really good. His, I mean, it's crazy to see his development as a shooter over the years because yeah. the last last memory we have of him as a Laker was just like, oh yeah, he can hit a three or two on the baseline if he's wide open. But these days, this dude is almost like the equivalent of a rabid off-ball cutter, except he's doing that on the perimeter and he is just letting it fly with reckless abandon, but hitting it at a really high clip and high rate. And it's just so much fun to watch him shoot. And his gravity um, on offense is undeniable. You know, teams always have to hone in on him. And even though it doesn't seem like he has an open shot, he's taking one or two dribbles, even though, you know, the bottom half of his body is swaying one way. It doesn't matter. He's going to let that fly and possibly hit it. So there's Wayne Ellington. But before we get to THT, I wanted to talk about Vogel taking DeAndre Jordan out of the lineup. Hallelujah. LeBron's coming back. So really the question I want to ask you is, what's your starting lineup when LeBron James is back? Now that we have things, the ball rolling in the right direction with AD at the five and Vogel actually at the very least, regardless of whether or not he has any offensive scheme to back it up, he's at least playing the right players right now. So what's your starting lineup when LeBron James is back? For me, and I put this out on Twitter, I would like 80 at the 5, LeBron James at the 4, THT at the 3, Wayne Ellington at the 2, and Russell Westbrook at the 1. My rationale for this is THT in this scenario is basically just supplanting Kent Bazemore. Because when I threw this lineup out there, people were like, THT doesn't work with Westbrook and LeBron because he can't shoot. And I was like, let me remind you that Bazemore was taking this spot and can't shoot either, right? So at the very least, putting THT in here, while Bazemore is arguably a better defender, I'm not really sure these days, especially because THT has shown a lot of improvements on at least man-to-man defense. He still needs a lot of work on his team defense and, you know, playing off ball. But in terms of being sort of a rabid defender and using his length to bother guys, he's kind of done what Bazemore's done. But on the offensive end, he provides you with so much more upside and finishing ability. So he's not going to be missing open layups the way that Kent Bazemore was. And then swapping out Avery Bradley for Wayne Ellington, I just think it, I, I, I want to do that because, again, I just talked about what a prolific shooter Wayne Ellington has been. And if you're going to put THT in the starting lineup, you really want to have the floor spaced. And that's, that's why I think you need Wayne Ellington in there, even though you're giving up some defensive man-to-man rabid hounding you know, capabilities, losing Avery Bradley, Wayne Ellington will give you that gravity that you need and allow the big three to operate. So to me, it's almost like you've got Russell Westbrook, LeBron, AD. You've got one super cutter and finisher in THT on one side, and then you've got one super shooter who's going to move like crazy on the perimeter on the other side in Wayne Ellington. And then hopefully that should give LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook enough space to run that high pick and roll and just drive it into the the lane aggressively and also find those other guys, you know? So that's kind of my rationale. And if you're worried about the THT dynamic of him being sort of nullified by having two other big primary ball handlers in LeBron James and Westbrook with him, I would almost stagger him out. I take him and Wayne Ellington out at the six to seven minute mark and bring in Mello and Monk and then Dwight Howard shortly after. And then I'd bring THT back to start the second with hopefully Anthony Davis as well and have THT be the primary ball handler. So that's kind of how I would like to see the LeBron James starting lineup shake out while we wait for Trevor Ariza, Kendrick Nunn, et cetera. What about you? I have the exact same starting five with this roster. Um, I think it's ideal. I, I think like THT, his length, 
is needed in the starting lineup. And just of those five guys, like, of course, AD is going to be AD. LeBron is going to be LeBron. But we need still a guy that you can. And Russ is not a bad defender, but you still need that, like, KCP, you know, role, a Kuz role that a starter that you could just throw out there and be like, hey, you're probably going to defend the opponent opposing team's best perimeter slash wing player. And that I think THT sort of fills that role. First of all, I don't know. I mean, is he probably a worse shooter than Bazemore? Probably. Right but now. We also, yeah. yeah. I mean, we well, right now, no. But you know, over the course of a season, probably. But we also don't really know for sure, right? Like, he has certainly improved. His form looks a lot better. He's still playing some. But, like, it, it seems like, you know, part of three-point shooting is gravity also. And, and if you are attempting it five times a game and you are showing teams you're not afraid to shoot it, you still create some gravity, right? And he has such good ability off the dribble that if he can at least force guys to take a step out there, he's going to blow right by them and do other things for you offensively. So I don't think it kills the spacing to put THT. He's not like Lou Dort, you know what I mean, out there in terms of his ability to shoot from the perimeter. So, and Wayne, I think you need with that lineup. Um, and And another thing I like about that lineup is when you go to the bench, right, you kind of... One thing that was really helpful for us the last couple of years was having the, you know, we had, we had our starters, which we tended to go conservative with how we were starting games. But we would always have like two guys at least, and a big part of this was Caruso, but two guys off the bench who could keep or elevate the defensive intensity when they came into the game, right? And against opposing team uh, bench players who are not typically like, the best players in the league, right? Especially if you're not playing a great team that can cause a lot of havoc. Right. And, and so if we move Avery Bradley or, you know, Trevor Reza, when he comes back uh, or even Baysmore now, like bring, bring those guys off the bench and they bring their defensive energy off the bench. It could give kind of that same dynamic that we've had the past couple of years and has been successful for us. So I, I think that's probably the best starting five you could put, put together right now. Oh, and balance all of that with, mellow scoring off the bench is more needed uh, than it is with the starters. Yeah, I agree. And then on top of that, you're also paying THT $4 million. million. You're paying him $10 million as your fourth highest paid player. At a certain point, you want to see truly what you have in this guy. And if you always have to figure out the fit or whatever with him and you can't even start him, what's almost like what's the point, right? So we might as well see now. And yeah, so I think that's a good transition to our ending topic and that's THT because he has looked very impressive his first two games. I mean, he started right out of the gate and maybe we should have expected this because he didn't really lose any conditioning time. It was just a hand injury. But to come out as confidently as he did and not only show it on the offensive end, Tommy, but actually show some defensive oomph and vigor there, I think has been the most encouraging part about THT. But on top of that, it's just like, man, the infusion of legs and energy and youth and him like dunking the ball with one hand, cuffing it all the way behind his head and kind of just showing a ferocity of just like, this is what we were supposed to be this season. And yep. it, why is this like 20 year old, the only guy who seems to be exhibiting it on a most more consistent basis. And then on top of it, we kind of saw flashes of this in the preseason, but yeah, his three point shot looks for real, you know, and he's bombing it from sometimes like 35 feet. He should probably quit doing that. But I mean, it, it's been going in. 
He had a career-high 28 points the last game, 4 of 9 from 3-point land, I think. But most of all, it's like he's starting to try and use his left hand. But even without the left hand, it doesn't matter. Like that scoop-de-doo clutch layup he did where he switched hands against the San Antonio Spurs to, you know, his patented Euro step into the reverse layup. I mean, it's been such a joy watching Taylor Horton Tucker. And he's not even been as reckless as we remember him yeah uh and it's and and that's why most fans are kind of clamoring for what the lakers did against the spurs to end that game and allow tht some primary ball handling responsibilities and take it out of russell westbrook's hand and so i've just been really impressed with taylor horton tucker and how he's come out of the gates just literally picking up where he left off and he almost seems unfazed from all the problems that this team has been dealing with. And thank God, because we need some spark for this season. And THT so far has been that. And almost like he has something to prove that he deserves this $10 million contract. He deserves to even have been prioritized over Alex Caruso. And he looks physically fit. We talked about his physical endurance and how much faster he looks, but I mean, everything about him seems so durable and mature. And again, I, I point back to the defensive end because if he can really continue to lock in and just become a better you know, team defender along with how he's been actually focusing in on hounding people and actually using his length to harass guys, I mean, this is sort of the third-year leap that we expected. And if there's one thing that I hope comes to fruition out of all the things that have seemed to fail us to, at the early start of this season— it's great to at least see the THT coin trending on the right track. So close us out with your thoughts on THT. Yeah, he's been great. It's been fun to see him. You won't wish he was you know, healthy from the season start because he clearly has put in the work. I mean, physically, when you see him on the court, it was jarring to me. I, you know, in the preseason, things are happening so fast. It's like overwhelming to process. In my opinion, I, I'm not really the person who like rewatches games, but um Seeing him on the court in that first game against the Spurs where he came back, it's like you don't even really recognize him. He's gotten himself into such amazing shape. You mentioned like he seems a little bit reckless, but I think a big part of that, besides just the maturity and and getting better as a player, um, understanding what you can and can't do, a big part of that is he's so much quicker and more explosive now than he has been because he's in such good shape. He's not ending up in these situations where guys can read what he's trying to do and stand there while he barrels over them, you know? So it, it's, uh, it's been really nice to see his development. He's, he's working on that jumper. Clearly. Um, he's, he certainly has the confidence to take it and he is going to be a very, very important thing. They are a very, 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 very important piece of what we're trying to do. Um, but again, it, it's all about getting everybody on the same page because it's like fairly absurd when you think about it. Like, you know, we've said it so many times. We, we have Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis healthy, right? And we're banking on THT being like, like it's almost like we're banking on him like playing at an all-star level to win games at this point, which just makes no sense at all. Well, the reliance on Austin Reeves too. It's like, dude, we have Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, exactly. Come on, exactly. Guys. And it's like everyone's all bummed that like we're really so it's like you should be able to win these games. Um, and and it's it's pretty disappointing. Um, but, you know, all through all of that, THD has been like a bright spot and it's going to be like nice to continue to watch him develop, at least over the course of this year, because you figure he probably will. Yeah, I agree. All right. With that said, that'll do it. 
Um, hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving and has a great TH Turkey Day. And uh, Tommy, I will let you go. We shall see how the Lakers fare on this road trip. It's going to tell us a lot. Even if we don't get the wins per se, I think we'd all just like to see more consistent, sustained effort from this team and from the coach to see more of those, like Tommy said, see more of those gears turning to actually see some tangible pivots in the right direction versus us taking too long. Again, this goes, the how we treated preseason is almost a microcosm for the problems that we're seeing now, where yes, is the change finally coming? Yes, those changes are coming. And it seems silly to say that they're coming too slow since we've only been through like 15, 16 games. But honestly, they've been too slow given the context that we have and the intel that we have prior to all these things bubbling forth, right? So please just pivot in the right direction. Make the intuitive adjustments for yourself as a player, for yourself as a coach, for yourself as a GM, for yourself as an owner. Everybody needs to do their part and start holding up their end of the bargain. And that also includes like, you know, the training staff where everybody on this team seems to be dropping like flies. And it's not even necessarily an age thing because all of our young guys were down at one point and are still down with Austin Reeves out. So everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Feel better after spending time with family, gathering with family, eating turkey, honey baked ham, pumpkin pie, what have you. More pumpkin pie versus blame pie when we get out of this stretch here. All right, I will leave it there. Catch you guys next time. Happy Thanksgiving. Tommy, happy Gobble Gobble Day. Peace. Laters. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.